Today's scripture reading taken from Psalm 14. You can find it in page number 445 of your Pew Bibles. Psalm 14. Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise, who seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike perverse. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord, there they shall be in great terror. For God is with the company of the righteous. You would confound the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that deliverance for Israel would come from Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, Jacob will rejoice. Israel will be glad. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading today is from Luke's Gospel, and I will be reading from chapter 15, the first 10 verses there. Luke chapter 15, beginning with the very first verse. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable, Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, uh, those of us here today who hold a U.S. passport or those of us who were born uh, in the U.S. are probably well aware that uh, today is the 15th anniversary of the terrorist attacks that killed nearly 3,000 people in New York City, Arlington, Virginia, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. There are teenagers in this church, actually they're not here this morning, but there are teenagers in our membership who were not yet born on that cool September morning in 2001 when 19 Al-Qaeda hijackers steered four airplanes, including their passengers and flight crews, 
uh, into the World Trade Center, into the Pentagon, and into a field in central Pennsylvania. No one in my family was lost in those attacks, but uh, a couple, a husband and wife, uh, from my church at the time, this was in Wheaton, Illinois, lost a son who was working for a financial firm in the Twin Towers. The parents were traveling in Asia at the time, and then for three days after the attacks, maybe you remember this, there were no flights into or out of the U.S., and they were making these frantic calls, hoping against hope that their son was alive. Was he in his office that morning or not? All these years later, more than a thousand people are still unaccounted for. In spite of the heroic work by medical examiners, more than a thousand people, think of this, more than 40% of those who died in the Twin Towers left not a trace of DNA. Often in the days and weeks following the attacks, the family members would post ads either on a wall somewhere or in a newspaper, and there would be a picture and the words missing, if you have seen my wife or my daddy, call 555-678, etc. It was heartbreaking. I mean, even if you hadn't lost someone, you could feel all of the pain that these people were experiencing. Many families were unable to let go. To them, there just had to be some explanation. And I mean, instead of going to work that morning, maybe their loved one stopped for breakfast somewhere. Maybe they took the day off from work and went to play golf. I mean, they, they refused to lose hope that their loved one would be found. Those signs and advertisements have mostly disappeared now, though every once in a while another one will pop up. And when it does, it is a testimony to something in the human spirit. In spite of overwhelming evidence to the contrary, we believe that there is always a chance. So we should never give up hope. You know, it's easy for those of us who have never lost anyone without a trace Uh, Think of that Malaysian airliner a year and a half ago with 227 people aboard. Think of that, and then think of telling their families to just give up hope. Uh, Let it go, we want to tell them. Uh, It's over. Move on. Get on with your lives. Uh, In my first year of ministry, I was a a 23-year-old intern at a small church in Iowa. This was Iowa City, Iowa, for those of you who know the state. And one of the young men at our church, he was 44 years old at the time, had a heart attack while hunting, and he died. Very sudden and and unexpected death. He left behind a young wife and and three young children. One afternoon, I was sitting in my office at the church, and uh, my feet were up on the desk, and I was daydreaming about becoming a famous pastor. And then the telephone rang, and it was the secretary, or it was the administrative assistant to the man who had died. Uh, This was a few months after his death, and his young son had come home from school and had dialed the number of his father's office. And when the secretary answered the phone, the boy asked for his father as though nothing had happened. Maybe it had all been a dream. Maybe this, this awful thing in his life had, had, had never happened. So on the chance that his father was still alive and still working in the same office, the son called because he wanted to speak with him. 
And then a very alert secretary called me a few moments later and she said that I might want to go over and spend some time with that young man, which I did. The boy, as it turned out, was not crazy. He was not out of his mind. He was not losing touch with reality. He had a fierce hope within him that he would see his father again. And to his credit, he was not about to give up. I think about stories like that, and I'm, I know more. Uh, and I think about God and, and God's determination to find us and to seek us out and, and not to accept no for an answer. And it's dangerous, of course, I know this, to project too many of these human characteristics onto God, but in this case, I think we can learn something about God that we should know that would be very helpful and comforting for us to know. We were created in the image and likeness of God, and one of the characteristics that we have inherited, so to speak, is this thing, this, this spirit within us that will never let go. If you have lost someone you love, then well, you never give up hope. Right? You dream of the day that that person will walk through the door and say, Hi, I'm back. How have you been? And that is one of the characteristics of God that excites me most. That most comforts me to think that this God has a fierce determination not to let go of me. You've seen the, 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 the internet meme, uh, if you feel distant from God, guess who moved? Right? I like that uh, because I think it's absolutely right. Not all internet theology is very good. Uh, but that one is just right. I move away all the time, every day, several times a day. Uh, in fact, I'm like the child wandering away from his mother in the store. I did it at three years old. I do it today. But God, and, and this is one of the most comforting dimensions of my faith, God will never let go. God will never give up. God has never given up on me. And God will never give up on you. Luke 15 is a famous chapter in the New Testament, and if you don't know it, you should. I challenge you to read it and reflect on it. Spend time with it. For quite a few years, partly because I identified with one of the characters in this chapter, and I'll let you decide which one it was. Right? It was my favorite chapter in the Bible. I used to preach on it, I think once per month, not really, but it, it, it seemed to me as though I was always coming back to Luke chapter 15. Anyway, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three consecutive parables, and each one has the same basic structure, the, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And that last parable, what we like to call the, the parable of the prodigal son, is a bit longer, and it is a bit more complicated than the other two, and it probably deserves a sermon of its own. So uh, let's take a look today at those first two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin. The first two verses of chapter 15, which introduce these three parables, tell us all we need to know, tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and scribes, that was the audience, and quite an audience it was too. We sometimes think of the Pharisees, in fact, we always think uh, of the Pharisees as the bad guys, the villains in the story. 
the antagonists, and maybe at some level they are the bad guys, but I want you to see that they are also the good guys. They are very much the good guys. We know these people. Our lives are filled with people like them. The church, every single church I have ever served has been filled with them. They are the law-abiding citizens. They are the ones who can be counted on always and in every case to do the right thing, and there is nothing wrong with that, is there? Like the older brother in the last parable, they play by the rules and they are loyal and they are honest and they give you a full day's work and they might be annoying. Older siblings can be that way. But they are never the ones who get into trouble, like some younger siblings I know. This birth order thing has been with us a long time, hasn't it? The tax collectors, on the other hand, were despised for a good reason. You would have hated them too. They collaborated with Rome, the occupying power. They paid themselves out of what they collected, and they paid themselves a great deal. They were well off when people around them were not so well off. I don't even know any tax collectors, and I find myself irritated by them. And as for the sinners, maybe there's a reason that people thought of them as sinners. They they, they did not get this label for no reason. The issue here, as far as Luke is concerned, is not who is good or uh, who is bad. There's no dispute about that. The the issue is that the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling. The good guys were grumbling, and they were grumbling that Jesus showed more interest in the tax collectors and the sinners. Uh, To them, in in their uh, mathematical calculation, that did not make sense. This fellow, and that's somewhat disrespectful, equivalent of saying this guy, this fellow welcomes sinners and and eats with them. The word welcomes, I think, is a kind of weak translation here. What Luke means to say is that Jesus embraced them. He he opened his arms to them. He, he, He invited them into an intimate relationship. And so Jesus, who always had an interesting grasp of of his audience and and what they were really thinking, notice that no one asked him a question here. Jesus simply began to teach, and the story says he told them this parable. And the parable begins with a question, which of you, having a hundred sheep and and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one who is lost until he finds it? And the proper answer to that question is no one. No shepherd in the history of shepherding. This is Shepherding 101. No shepherd in the history of shepherding, or no shepherd in his right mind, would ever leave the flock in a treacherous place like the wilderness. That word wilderness has a rich biblical meaning too. In search of a single sheep who was lost. One of the problems here may be the song that I learned as a child in Sunday school, and I'm wondering if anybody else remembers this. Uh, There were 90 and 9 that safely lay. It gets really quiet when I sing, I know. There were 90 and 9 who safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was out on the hill away, far off from the gates of gold. Well, that was beautiful. I loved that as a child, but the the songwriter never read the story. The the 90 and 9 were not safe in the shelter of the fold. They were in the wilderness. That's what the story says, and no human shepherd would have left them there. 
The next parable begins, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and, and, and search carefully until she finds it. And this one might be a little less obvious because I myself would probably search hard for a, a silver coin that was lost. And maybe you would too. But the expected answer, the, the answer that Jesus set up his audience to give was no one would. And then even that last parable, which I promised you I wouldn't uh, mention, uh, has the same implied question. What father among you wouldn't welcome home a son and throw a feast for him and, and kill a fatted calf and, and, and put a ring on his finger? Who wouldn't do that? And again, the expected answer is that no father, not in that culture, no father would ever think of acting in such an undignified way, running down the road, no, no, no father would throw a feast for a son who had behaved so disgracefully. And everyone there that day knew it. But, and here's the astonishing teaching ability of Jesus on full display. We know a father who would do exactly that thing. We know a shepherd who would leave 99 sheep to fend for themselves, not in the shelter of the fold, but in the wilderness, in search of the one who was lost. We know this Father, don't we? He is our Father in heaven, and He would do these things because He has done them for us. No one else would, but He would. A few chapters later, this is still in Luke's Gospel, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Right, that, that's the mission. The, the Son of Man did not come to seek and to save the 99 sheep who had the good sense not to get lost. Uh, you already have your reward, Jesus said. That should be good enough. It's the lost who need a Savior. Last week I mentioned that the, the churches I've served over the years, there have been a few, have been filled with good people who wanted to be better people. That's often how they would identify themselves. And so they were all older brothers and they were all older sisters. Uh, very few people I have known in my ministry have thought of themselves as lost people or broken people or desperate people. There were always such uh, good people. And they were smart people too. And they were well-educated. And, and they very much wanted other people to think of themselves as good people. Failure, when it occurred, which wasn't often, was a reason to stay home and away from church, not just for a few months, sometimes for a few years. People who experienced brokenness sometimes didn't uh, even know if they would be welcome. Right? Because the, the church, the ones I have served, seemed to be for the good people, the 90 and 9. Uh, one time I, I spoke with a man from my church who never came to worship. His wife came faithfully every Sunday morning, but he was never there, even though his name was on our uh, membership roll. And at a party one time, you should never get stuck talking to me at a party. Uh, uh, at a party one time, I asked him about it. And he told me that on Sunday mornings, he liked to attend meetings of his Alcoholics Anonymous group. And I didn't tell him that there are meetings every single day of the week, not just on Sunday morning, but uh, I did ask why he made that choice. And he said, because it's more authentic than church. Uh, people are real at those meetings. They know their need. They don't pretend. And if they do, we call them out. We don't let them get away with pretending at AA meetings. And I've never forgotten that conversation because it, 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 it cut me to the heart. 
I got into church work because I had experienced God's grace in an overwhelming way because at some point God found me and, and, and not the other way around and I have wanted ever since to be with people who yearned for the same experience. But those are not often the people I meet. There are exceptions and, and there are some wonderful uh, exceptions. But mostly I meet good people at church or, or, or people who want me to think they are just fine. They would never think of putting their name on a prayer list. They, they smile when what they really want to do is cry. Tell me this, why do we have such a hard time saying, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And all of heaven is rejoicing because this sinner has come home. The next time someone asks you uh, why you go to church, you could say, you know, I've read a, a fair number of books on the subject and I've explored uh, a number of the major religions and I just decided that Christianity makes the most sense. You could say that and, and I hear some version of that all the time. But what about this instead? These could be your words. You know, I was lost. I truly and, and profoundly lost in, in every sense of that word until God found me. And now I can't really explain it. It feels as though I have come home. I wonder if you could imagine yourself saying just that. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are funny people. Rather than admit the truth about ourselves, we do a great deal of pretending about how nice and whole and good we are. But the truth of the matter is we all need rescuing. We are all broken at some level where there is something missing in each of our lives and we need a savior and we need a shepherd. We need someone who will not let go of us. And so we pray today for the honesty to admit that about ourselves and, and more than that, we pray that you will be the one to reach into our lives and to rescue us, to fill that empty place, to heal that wound, and to finally, finally, finally claim us as your own. We pray this in Christ's name.